Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Leah Dempsey, Senior Director of Advocacy and Counsel at Credit Union National Association, or CUNA, joins Brownstein shareholder Michael Pryor and Senior Policy Advisor Zach Fister for a discussion moderated by Brownstein Strategic Advisor Mark Begich on the wave of website accessibility lawsuits hitting the credit union industry. They discuss not only the background on the issue, but also the lack of clear standards from the DOJ and advice for any credit unions that have received a demand letter related to this issue. Welcome to the Brownstein Client Conversation Podcast. Today, we're joined with a few folks here from Brownstein and a special guest. Our special guest today is Leah Dempsey, is a Senior Director of Advocacy and Counsel at Credit Union National Association, otherwise known as CUNA where she advocates on behalf of America's credit unions. Leah has a strong focus on consumer protection issues and leads CUNA's consumer protection advocacy team. Leah advocates on behalf of the credit unions about a number of issues before several federal agencies in Congress and has supported legal advocacy efforts before a number of federal courts. Let me also introduce two of our staff members here at Brownstein that work in this arena. First is our senior policy advisor, Zach Fister, Boost extensive experience in Democratic politics and policymaking. Before coming to Brownstein, Zach was the senior House Democratic lobbyist for the Credit Union National Association, advocating on issues related to business lending, consumer protection, tax provisions, and CFPB regulation. Also, our shareholder Michael Pryor has built an impressive expertise in the regulatory world of cable, telecommunications, and wireless technology. His deep understanding of the regulatory process comes in part from his time as the Policy Division Deputy Chief at the Federal Communications Commission. Welcome all of you here, and maybe what we can do, let's set the stage a little bit of kind of what's happening on credit union issues, but specifically around accessibility issues uh, that are starting to bubble out there, you might say, about websites and other issues around the credit union. Let me ask Michael, actually, just to give kind of the legal, what, what's the issue? And then I'm going to talk about a little politics. We always like to leave politics last because that's, <laughs> that's the part that gets a little juicy, you might say. Sure. Well, credit unions, like other industries, are finding themselves in this sort of wave of litigation brought by a handful of firms that are alleging that the websites that the credit unions have don't comply with the American for Disabilities Act. Um, there's, a, there's a pattern that follows here is the, the, a demand letter will be issued to a credit union claiming that the uh, website is not in compliance and give uh, a couple of weeks to say, uh, get it in compliance or we're going to bring a lawsuit. Uh, and these lawsuits have, have been coming. Um, there have been uh, probably well north of 100 uh, throughout the country, uh, small and large uh, credit unions are affected. Well, it, it's interesting. They, they, it seems they've been targeting primarily the smaller credit mm-hmm. unions at first, uh, potentially because perhaps they think they are the smaller ones with fewer resources will give up and settle quickly. Mm-hmm. That's really what this is about. Is we think this is about trying to get a quick settlement for you know seventy five hundred, ten thousand dollars. Uh, with the idea that, you know, that amount of money is going to be cheaper than maybe defending. And so they'll try to extract a quick settlement um, and then walk away. Well, the credit unions have been up in arms about this, uh, understandably. And CUNA has uh, come and and, and worked with Brownstein. And we've been helping in all of these cases or a lot of these cases where a motion to dismiss has been filed. 
and we've been filing amicus briefs on the background of the law on this. One of the big problems is that the Department of Justice, which is tasked with issuing rules around implementing the ADA, hasn't implemented any rules around what's required for websites. So what we have is sort of a, um, a group of private industry group that has come up with some standards, and these seem to be the ones that the plaintiffs are pushing. But we're finding actually some, some success, though, now with these lawsuits because these credit unions, particularly the smaller ones, have a very restricted membership. And typically, the plaintiff that's suing isn't eligible to be a member. Because they're not a member of the they're credit union. They're not a member of the credit so union. St- no standing. No standing. And so we're getting some uh, some traction with those. But that's the legal background of this. Zach, now, knowing that issue, it's somewhat, I don't want to say too technical, but it's, I mean, it's a basic issue that people are claiming access, but you have this effort this is my summary of what I just heard of lawyers who are focused on these small credit unions just to get cash settlements. It seems that. Is Congress interested in this issue or the administration? Do you get a sense that it's bubbling up a little bit here or what's your sense of what's happening? I think so. And I think that Congress is no stranger to credit unions and other financial institutions and other uh, entities of, of similar sizes uh, being targets by frivolous lawsuits and, and demand letters uh, over the years. It seems that credit unions are often a, a favor of these uh, plaintiffs' firms, um, and it seems like every Congress uh, there is a new issue that they go after credit unions for. This cycle, it seems to be that the ADA website issue is uh, is their favorite choice, and credit unions are their favorite target. Uh, that said, CUNA has been at the tip of the spear on this issue. They have been leading the charge both on the congressional front and with the administration um, at the Department of Justice. CUNA has met with members of the Judiciary Committee's has uh, galvanized the support of over 60 members, a bipartisan group of members of Congress uh, who signed a letter led by Eric Swalwell of California and uh, Chairman Goodlatte of Virginia, who is the chair of the Judiciary Committee, asking for clarity on the issue and what DOJ is planning to do. I think the gray matter surrounding this issue is really the crux of of the ask, and the ask is simple. Give credit unions guidance and they will adhere and comply. Uh, Right now, as Michael said, there is no clear guidance. This isn't an instance where uh, credit unions are particularly looking for regulatory relief, but rather clarity on existing regulations or regulations that should exist so they can comply accordingly. Let me ask you uh, again, Leah, thank you very much for being a special guest. Uh, I know Brownstein has represented CUNA for a long time, and uh, I've been had the pleasure to be at a couple of your events and present kind of the, the mystery of Washington to your members, and uh, it's always been um, very positive, very uh, uh, helpful in seeing what credit unions are doing today. And this seems to be one of those issues that just kind of it, it's it's small in the big picture of Washington, but it seems like for credit unions, it's becoming a bigger issue, especially for these smaller credit unions. Give me a sense of what you're hearing from your members. And I'm, it's always unique about credit unions is because you are member driven. So you're not going to just hear from the CEO or the president. You're going to hear from members because that's who shows up. At, I know in Washington, when I see him, it's it's everyday people who are just members of the credit union representing them here on the on the hill. 
Yeah, and, and thank you again to Brownstein and all the great work that you guys have done on this issue. Um, it's really been remarkable, the amicus briefs that we've filed and, and all the work that we've been doing at the DOJ and on Capitol Hill. And as you said, just to back up a little bit, to talk a little bit about the purpose of credit unions, they were created to promote thrift and provide access to credit. So their whole purpose really cuts against this litigation. They, of course, want to serve as many consumers as they can. Um, a lot of them are located in rural and underserved areas, and specifically some of the smaller ones are in those areas where consumers have uh, fewer or poor options for financial services. So they want to help consumers, and this litigation you know, is alleging that they're putting up barriers to accessibility, which, of course, they wouldn't purposely... It's contrary to what credit exactly. are about, right? I mean, they're about... Creating more access, more ability, more more tools for the member to participate in the financial world that we all live in here. It's not just to close it off. Is that a fair exactly? Yeah. So you know, as as Michael described, they're receiving these demand letters uh, based on a violation of something that's a private industry standard. It's not something that they can look to the law or regulation to comply with. And they're getting these letters. They're only getting about two weeks to respond. In some cases, they don't receive any notice at all. The the firms go straight to the courthouse. And there's really not a good faith effort to work with the credit unions to fix any website issues or to have other options to work with those that are suing them. It's just a race to the courthouse and a race to get as many damages as possible. I know Zach mentioned also, you just mentioned it, the private industry group standards. I mean, is a credit union part of that private industry group that set those standards, or is it just another group that sets them and tells you that's your now standards? So they are set through other judicial actions. So they, okay. other courts have found them to be the precedent. And um, those cases were not based on credit unions and some not even financial institutions. It was other businesses like Domino's Pizza and um, businesses throughout the country. So, you know, Domino's Pizza is now a credit union. I want my share of the pepperoni <laughs> pizza. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> so, you know, and that's a great point, because if you think about it, if you're a small credit union um, in a rural area, you may have five employees, which is the average staff size of any credit union. You're not thinking about litigation in California against Domino's Pizza. So this may not be top of mind to you. So when you receive one of these demand letters, it may be the first time you're hearing about it. I guess there's some inconsistencies, right? Because these lawsuits that occur, may they be in the West Coast or the East Coast or the South or wherever, they're creating different standards. And is this group kind of just picking what they think are the standards they want? So then as a credit union, which you could be a national uh, connected credit union, and therefore you have uh, offices and uh, retail locations or locations in many different states, and therefore you have an inconsistent policy. What goes on in California may be different than Georgia, but yet you're having to adhere to this, in theory, this standard that a group has put together. Is that one of the that, challenges? That's one of the challenges, and also just the the frivolous nature of what's being brought. For example, there have been demand letters recently trying to get personal jurisdiction using a California state law alleging that the plaintiff was in California at the time they looked at a Texas website. Um, So allegedly this plaintiff flew to California 
was looking online at the credit union's website in Texas, and now the firm is saying that they have enough connections. Right. <laughs> well, that's an interesting. I, I, I guess, Michael, from a, a legal perspective, that seems to be stretching it a little bit. Well, that, maybe it, I'm wrong, but no, no, I, I, they are, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't think those those suits are at the end of the day are going to fly. But but they um, create challenges for the credit unions. They oh, got to sure. respond, right? They've got to respond. You've got to go into California, and you've got to move to uh, you Dismiss know stop the lawsuit. Or, yeah. But I wanted to sort of make a, a just sort of back up more fundamentally. There's a huge split in the courts about whether websites should even be subject to the ADA at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got one set of courts saying no websites at all. You've got another set of courts saying all websites. And you've got a third set of courts saying websites if they're connected with a physical location. Um, so even at the most fundamental level of should we even be fighting about websites in the ADA is kind of up in the it's air. It's still up in the air. From the credit union's perspective, there's not a reluctance at all, and I think I heard that from you, that to have an understanding and standard of access to the websites. That's not an issue. I mean, it just seems like you're getting all this incoming from different jurisdictions around the country that are creating, these are my words, kind of havoc in how to respond and how to manage this in some way. Is there ability, do you think, maybe through Congress or through regulatory process to get some of this, I think Zach mentioned earlier, clarification? Because it's not about necessarily a whole new set of standards. It's, there's something out there already, but it's not clear. Zach, do you, any thought there? Is that? Yeah, I mean, th- so there have been um, there have been some legislative efforts uh, with regards to the ADA that have moved through the House and are currently uh, under consideration in the Senate. However, that legislation did not directly address the website specifically. Because that was a House bill that passed that, Correct. Show, right? And Correct. didn't make it through the Senate side. Correct. And, and to Michael's earlier point about uh, the DOJ guidance that, uh, that started the rulemaking process and then got pulled back, um, that's what we're talking about in regards to uh, greater clarity and guidance. Uh, it, we're also in this situation where Congress is asking DOJ to act, and DOJ is telling Congress that it needs to act <laughs> to make DOJ act. So it's kind of the, the figures are pointed both ways, Correct. and who's going to go first? Correct. And so we, we look at it from a, a, a dual-pronged approach, kind of raising more awareness in Congress just exactly how this is affecting uh, institutions like credit unions continuing to meet with DOJ and, and and leaving no stone unturned on this. At the end of the day, I think one of the resonating points with members of Congress is, is that we have to remember that credit unions have a unique structure. They're not-for-profit financial cooperatives. They're owned by their members. And every time that they have to spend five or seven or ten thousand dollars to uh, put one of these demand letters to rest with with no guarantee that there won't be another one around the corner that's five or seven or ten thousand dollars that they cannot use for uh, member services for for another loan for their members to, to add another teller to the staff to, uh, you know just other resources where this money could be used for their membership I mean basically Leah, the, the, the as Zach said I mean who pays at the end of the day is the members right it's very different and I can say this uh, than a bank where it's just a division of less profits for the shareholders or maybe different bonus programs are cut back. But in this case, 
because the money is plowed back into services for the credit union members, that it just means less of something, less benefit to the member. And so these frivolous kind of lawsuits end up costing uh, the ability for credit unions to continue to branch and do what they need to do for their members. Is there advice that you're giving to individual credit unions now, what they need to be thinking about or doing? May they be developing their website or managing their website or just in general when it comes around this issue? What are those things that, that you're pointing yeah, out to them? So we've been we've put out a lot of compliance resources. One of the things we're urging is if they can to come into compliance with the WGAC 2.0 standards, which is the private industry standard. And that's a consistent standard nationwide. So if you're, yeah. if you're a credit union that has five or six different locations in the country, that this standard can help unify. So you at least have a standard that if you're sued, you have something yeah, to point and, to. Yeah, and it's not a safe harbor, so it's not going to definitely protect it you. Yeah, it doesn't guarantee you anything, but it gives you something to start from. Yeah, it makes you not the lowest hanging fruit. Additionally, there's been some litigation that if you have certain disclosures, that can be helpful for a safe harbor. Like if you have a 1-800 number that is operated 24 hours a day, that is, in some instances, been found to be good enough. So we're also urging credit unions to put those types of disclosures on their website if they can. But, you know, as I said, there's no safe harbor right now. And since this is a private industry standard, it's always evolving. And it could be different six months or a year from now. So it's a, it's a very difficult business decision to spend the money on this now, knowing you may have to spend more later. But we ultimately think that to protect yourself uh, from this litigation and, and to serve uh, more consumers, people should be thinking about it. Won't this open up, and I'm just thinking as you were talking, I'm thinking of other, I mean, almost everyone, if you're in a business or a service industry, you're using websites, right? And if you're delivering information through your website, does this open the door to, you know, from the small retailer to the big, you know, uh, corporate entity that may use websites to give access of information now may also be kind of on the list of litigation because they're not creating access. I don't, I don't yeah, know, it's, it, it's been hitting everyone. It, it, you know, the community banks have also seen a lot of litigation in this area. The big banks have seen litigation, but it's also the retailers. All types of industries are seeing the same type of litigation. You know, as Michael mentioned, for us, it's a little bit different because we have specific fields of memberships. So right. we know that only a certain group of people would likely be looking at our website. Mm-hmm. You know, if your target, anyone arguably could be and should be looking at your website. But if you're a credit union, there's not as much reason that, you know, anyone in the world would be looking at it. Right. But I will. I, I know I belong to a couple of credit unions, which I'm happy to say that. Uh, but one of them is very big and one is expanding. Denali Credit Union Alaska is, I think, now going to be in four or five states. So coming out of Alaska to more states, which means more access, more new customers from different regions of the state. And it just seems that this kind of opens up this whole question. I think, Michael, you mentioned it. Is this really our website's really, do they fall under ADA? I don't think when they developed ADA, when Tom Harkin and all those folks did it, they weren't, and Ted Kennedy and all those, they didn't think about this. This was not, unless I'm missing something, it was about accessibility of being able to come in for accommodations, maybe in a retail or an, uh, offices and 
you know, access to door space, hallway space, elevator space, all the things that allow flexibility or on street corners, which we see every single day, constantly work being done to make those intersections more accessible. But do you think they ever thought of this end of it? Well, I, I don't, because I think that, you know, they, the ADA was passed long before you had the Internet and websites. Right. Uh, so it was uh, clearly wasn't in the, the intent of the uh, the authors of this, nor was it actually the intent of the authors that, that this act would be enforced through litigation. Right. They really thought the idea was, let's tell the Department of Justice to issue rules, which they've issued hundreds of pages of very specific guidelines for, as you say, you know, wheelchair ramps. And, right. And, and it's done a, a lot of good. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, there's no one here that doesn't, you know, support the ADA. But the question is, how do you support it? How do you best effectuate it? And um, as Zach began to mention, the, the DOJ did start to go down the road of uh, issuing asking about issuing some guidelines, but they pulled back and... Uh, it's created this uncertainty. It's created this tremendous amount of uncertainty, and in that vacuum, you know, ha, you know have come these plaintiffs' law firms. And these are really, when you think about it, five ten thousand $10,000 lawsuits to, to a, a, a medium to small-sized credit union, that may be a lot of money, but in reality, the amount of time and effort that would be spent with lawyers and so forth, it is cheaper in a lot of cases, just write the check and be done and not have to deal with this litigation. Leah, are you seeing that as kind of when you're talking to some of your credit unions that say, look, I got one branch, I got five employees, I don't have the time to hire a lawyer to go through this. I, I got customers coming in every day. I'm just going to write the check. Yeah, be done. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's exactly why a lot of them are settling, and and it's really not a good thing for consumers because it's stalling innovation in other areas. You know, for instance, I know a lot of credit unions had been thinking about doing more small-dollar lending in a right. consumer-friendly way um, after recent rules from other regulators, and they've spent 80% of their time on this over the past few months and haven't been able to think about new products and new innovation. For that their members and other consumers. Exactly. Yeah. Do, do you think, Zach, that you know Congress has its own challenges and you have to walk those halls more than you probably like at times on uh, issues? Um, but is this something that's it, it's just too small for someone to grab onto? Or is it one of those things... I mean, I know when I served in the Senate... I love credit union issues for a lot of reasons. One, they're great because they're about consumers. They're, they're, you know, when you touch them and you go back home as an elected official, you know, the odds that you're going to be talking to a credit union member is very, very high. And therefore, you're going to get a real experience of when you work on legislation around credit unions, the response is going to be real from a person who's voting, participating. Do you think that understanding appetite is there? Or do you think it's just, we'll just have to wait for another day and a big bill and try to jam it in there? I think that Congress has had an interesting couple of years. <laughs> uh, the the normal that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the normal uh, process in which something like this might get addressed uh, in, in a in a uh, less hectic environment seems pretty straightforward. Uh, I think that the challenge is is that uh, on existing laws like the, the ADA and Medicare and Social Security. As Michael said, these are these are laws that have been in place for a very long time. That they are they are extremely uh, highly approved of. 
opening up those laws is the is the most challenging part because once the doors are open, uh, multiple various interests that are completely unrelated might try to address their concerns as well on other things. I think you saw this as part of the, the the House bill that passed out that it didn't directly address this specific issue. There were a myriad other things that a ton of other issues that there. that yeah. were were not related to this issue. And I think what it boils down to is that you have a 20th century law in a 21st century economy that. This environment in which we live in now, this business environment, has technology that was not anticipated or accounted for in a law that was passed many years ago. And accordingly, Congress needs to catch up on that. And I think the awareness campaign that CUNA is leading with a very common sense you know, approach is enlightening members to let their guard down a bit and not be too reactive to the, the the very straightforward ask is we're not asking you to do anything to the ADA other than tell us what we need to do to comply. Right. So it's really, again, as you said at the beginning, it's clarify what exists. And so therefore, the credit unions can apply whatever procedures they have to do to follow that across the country and make a uniformed approach to it. Leah, in the closing minute or so here, let me walk through a real practical. So I'm a credit union officer or CEO, whatever it might be, and I receive a letter, which I'm sure is very direct and says you're in violation. They have some, probably some fancy to the lawyers here, uh, lawyer words uh, that get them all excited. What's usually the advice you give them, right? Because when that comes, I can imagine a small credit union gets that letter and they're not excited. And what's the first thing you want to tell them to do? And then does your association also provide enough information that they can understand more about what's going on around this issue? What would be the first thing you'd you'd say to this group? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, the first thing is a lot of them are unrepresented by counsel. A lot of them don't have in-house counsel, particularly Mm -hmm. the smallest ones. So we recommend that they contact their insurance company so that they can find out what's going on there. Um, And then they, they do need to probably talk to their own private counsel, and then also contact CUNA as well, because we've been uh, working very closely with them to file these amicus briefs in their support. And, and you to, have a lot of information available on this issue. For and them. that too, yeah. Lots right. of compliance resources, lots of information about how it's impacting all the other credit unions across the country. So contact us, uh, and we are always working very closely with Brownstein as soon as we're contacted. So, Well, this, this has been helpful. I know, again, as a member of two credit unions, I've always enjoyed, one, the customer relationship that they have. They're great when you come in as a member. There's no issue or question or product that they can't find or figure out how to help you with. And to know that they have to now deal with this as a side issue, and as you said, stop them from looking at new products like small lending and so forth, is troublesome as a member of a credit union because you want the credit unions to continue to expand to benefit their members as much as possible. And they have these kind of litigation just kind of jams it up. So I appreciate, one, CUNA is what they're doing, what you're all doing. Thank you for being our special guest today. Um, This is uh, an effort for us to kind of reach out a little bit in a different way with our podcast, and we really appreciate you being here. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.